The Galatians were preaching and teaching, or rather in the position of receiving a bizarro gospel, or a false gospel, or a gospel which is entirely the opposite of the gospel which the Apostle Paul proclaimed to them in his first missionary journey. You see, they were in danger of receiving a gospel, if I could just summarize that gospel in the exact opposite of our sermon title this morning, a gospel which would be summarized as grace to God and glory to man. The Galatian gospel was a bizarro gospel because it was about grace to God and glory to man. You see, the grace to God was the idea that yes, Jesus Christ has done some things which will help us be on a right footing or standing with the Lord. Yes, he died for our sins. Yes, he lived an obedient life. But that's not all of the gospel according to the Galatians. Or at least the false teachers among them. Because we noted last week when the Apostle Paul is beginning to enter into this letter, the body of the letter, he says in verse 6, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And that different gospel we noted was not only believe in Jesus Christ, have faith in Jesus Christ, but also now you need to help God out. You need to add to what Jesus Christ has done. You need to add to that circumcision and your own good works. But you can see in that kind of a summary understanding of the gospel that it makes sense that the Galatian gospel was about grace to God and glory to man. Because, you see, the sense of this gospel was that somehow, inexplicably, God needs your help to take you the rest of the way to salvation. God needs you to take some extra steps with Him, hand in hand with Jesus Christ. And if you do that, the end result of that is now not grace to man, but grace to God. And if you could conceivably help God save yourself, then you could no longer say, at the end of the day, with that kind of a gospel, that glory is to God, but rather glory would be to man. I saved myself. I did it my way. I helped the Lord. But see, the Apostle Paul, knowing that this is the gospel that he is attacking here in Galatians, knowing all the, uh, these peculiar understandings and this uh, twisting and the distorting of the gospel which he had delivered unto them, ahead of time he launches out an attack against them in very summary form here in verses 3 and 4. Because he takes that twisted gospel and he turns it inside out and puts it in its right proportion and its right summation. And he says in verse 3, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory. You see, he takes the phrase, he inverts it, and he places it in the proper order, and he says to the Galatians, grace to man, grace to you, and glory to God. And the reason why the Apostle Paul can greet them with this gospel message is because that's truly the nature of the gospel which he proclaims. It is a gospel which is about grace to man and glory to God. And we see the summary of that gospel, which is all about grace to man, in verse 3, in the three clauses here. Who gave himself for our sins, to deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. 
And so this morning we're going to look at those three clauses here which represent the summary of Paul's gospel. And this is a gospel which is all about grace to man. All three phrases underscore that. So let's look at them one by one, remembering as we work our way through it, that we're trying to establish and demonstrate the fact that this gospel, which is the true gospel, is about grace to man. And you see that, first of all, in the phrase, who gave himself for our sins. There's three things in that, that short little clause there, which underscore the fact that the gospel is about grace to man. The first indication of the fact that grace is to man in Paul's gospel is the fact that this gospel foundationally at its core, at its very essence, is about a sacrifice. He says, who gave? Who gave? And as you take that idea gave and you search it out throughout the rest of the book of Galatians and throughout the rest of the New Testament, you realize that, that gave himself there is a reference to Jesus Christ as a sacrifice. Ephesians 5.2, Paul talks about that. That Jesus Christ presented himself an offering and a sacrifice as a fragrant aroma. You go to other places in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter, or rather 1 Peter 3.18, it talks about Jesus Christ offering himself up and giving himself over to death. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, it says, By the offering of Jesus Christ we are sanctified once for all forever. But time after time after time, as you come across this in the New Testament, that whole concept of him giving himself is interpreted as a sacrifice. Now Paul says that is foundational to the true gospel. That there's a sacrifice involved. In other words, it's about grace to man because somebody at some point in time, offered up their lives, shed their blood, and died. And so Paul says, this gospel is a gospel of grace to man because it's about somebody who offered himself as a sacrifice. And you see the reason for the sacrifice given in the next clause, or the next part of that first clause, where he says, for our sins. It was for our sins, the Apostle Paul says. Christ gave himself in the place of sins for our sins. And I know that's a very uh, compact and concise way uh, to explain the, the essence or the inner core of what the gospel is all about. It seems rather odd to say he gave himself for sins as something in the abstract. But as Paul unfolds this now, you can turn with me Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. You see where the Apostle Paul begins to unfold uh, what it means for Christ to give himself for sins. You see there the Apostle Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved him loved me and gave himself for me. You see, Paul is not separating the sin from the sinner. When it says that he gave himself for our sins, it's not just sins in the abstract, but sins come from people. Paul says sins come from me. He gave himself and he died for me. And the reason why he had to do that is because you go on to Galatians chapter 3, and I, I know we don't have time to really delve into the whole doctrine and theology of the atonement in any kind of depth. We're just sort of highlighting in broad strokes what this gospel is about, and about this very essential inner core of the gospel, Christ's atoning work. But, but just track with this a moment. He says in verse 
13 of chapter 3, unfolding more of what it means for Christ to have given himself for sin. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. You see how Paul is unfolding this now throughout the rest of the epistle. If we turn to other places in the New Testament, it's only confirmed. But the sense that is is sort of bunched up really tightly and compactly here in verse 4 contains what we need to know. He gave himself for our sins. That means that Jesus Christ gave himself not for sins in the abstract, but for sins which were committed by sinners. And upon every sin which proceeds from the heart, the mouth, the life, the attitude, the tongue of a person, Paul says... For every one of those violations, a curse comes. Now, you begin to understand as as you understand verse 4 in light of the broadening circles of Galatians and the rest of the scriptures, that when it says that Jesus Christ gave himself for sins, what the Apostle Paul is alluding to in summary fashion is that Christ died to take upon himself all of the curse of the law which was due to you for your transgressions. Every single time the Word of God says, you break the law in even the most minute detail, in the slightest, smallest, most minuscule matter, the law says when you do that, a curse is to come upon you. A curse is unfolded and expounded as death. And so what Paul is saying here is the wonder of the true gospel is that every time you sin, a curse is to fall upon you, but the wonder of the gospel is that it's not going to happen to you if you're in Jesus Christ because He gave Himself for our sins. That all of the curses of the law were heaped up and placed upon Christ. And as the perfect sacrificial victim, Christ took all of those sins upon himself. God the Father imputed all of our sins with all of their guilt upon Christ. And then he suffered the eternal torment of hell to deliver us from our sins. That's the gospel. You stop and think about that this morning. You can never begin to understand the gospel correctly then Unless you understand something about your sins. Think about it. Your sins were so bad, the Apostle Paul says, when you start to unravel that very terse and compact statement there, that a sacrifice was offered to take upon itself all the curses which are due to your sins, and the person who was the sacrifice was no one less than the Lord Jesus Christ, a divine person. That's how bad your sins are. But that's how great the gospel is. That's how great the gospel is. That that people who deserved eternal condemnation, who deserved eternal death, who deserved the torments of hell forever and ever and ever, which Christ describes as an unquenchable fire. Christ took all of that upon himself. And you could do nothing. But I want you to understand your predicament. You will never understand the grace of the gospel until you understand the whole problem which has caused the gospel to come about in the first place, which is your sins. We don't have to look around and find somebody who's a really, 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 really bad sinner and say, you know what, it's so nice that we have this gospel for really bad people. 
You don't have to go down and find the most down and out person and say, you know what, this gospel is so good because it helps people like that. But the rest of you all who live a nice suburban life, who, who live in nice four-bedroom homes that are, that are they're spacious and beautiful and, and you have plenty of money and you have three cars in the garage at home and you wear nice clothes and you send your kids to good schools and, and you pass on to them all kinds of morals, you people are in a different class. You help Christ save yourself but these bad people over here no that's not the gospel you see nobody wants the gospel of Jesus Christ nobody will ever desire the gospel of Jesus Christ until they understand what every single little teeny tiny sin deserves oh and how good we are at covering that up Oh, people, all the, we, we just salve our consciences all the time. We think about all of our virtues and our self-disciplined lifestyles and how we don't do uh, all the bad sins that so-and-so does. And then we start thinking about the good things we've done. And, and oh man, we've helped people out. We've delivered them out of trouble. We might even have pulled alongside the, the road with somebody who's having car trouble and helped them get their car started. We might have done all kinds of nice and good things. And see, people sort of dress themselves up when, in this veneer of good works and of virtue and of goodness and then they think about themselves in that light they say why do I need this gospel grace is not good news to people like that but, but when you see what the apostle Paul sees here when you begin to understand yourself in light of the law of God and the word of God you begin to realize that this gospel is tailor made for every person who lives under the sun because everyone lives under a curse Paul says in Galatians 3.10, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them. That's the gospel. And, and I hope you see uh, already here as the Apostle Paul launches into a defense of the true gospel and he's already sort of sticking the dagger into the false gospel. He's saying, Galatians, what in the world are you thinking of? How could it possibly be that you have come to a point where you think of yourselves so highly that you don't need Christ alone? How could it be that way? How could it be that somehow you, you thought that, that you've done enough? That maybe your sins aren't that bad. You, you can go ahead and help Jesus and hold Him hand in hand together and work together with your circumcision and your obedience and get your way to heaven. Paul's taking a shot here right at them, head on. Christ died for sins. That's the predicament, Galatians. Sins! which bring a curse. I want you to know this morning though, that this is not just a negative message. It's a message of comfort to all of God's people that Christ died for sins. And that means when, when Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross, when He went up to that cross and, and all of our sins were laid upon Him and God imputed all of our sin and all of our guilt to Jesus Christ and He suffered the sacrifice for our sins that we can take full assurance and comfort in the fact that all of our sins are taken care of. 
You know how we sung that this morning? That as far as the east is from the west, so far has the Lord removed our sins from us. You know what the Word of God says in the Old Testament? That God has taken all of our sins and He's cast them into a sea of forgetfulness, never to remember them anymore. I hope you're glad about that this morning. You think back on your sins last week. I know most of us probably wouldn't want to go back more than last week. How bad are they? The further back you go, it seems like the worse they get. Or maybe they're getting worse every day. I don't know. But you think about all of your sins, and we have this terrible problem that starts to haunt us, and that's our conscience, and we have these fears, and we have these anxieties, and we have these frustrations, and we say, Lord, what are you going to do with somebody as bad as me? Look what I've done. Are you sure you love somebody like me? Are you sure that somebody like me is, is, can, can come to church and worship you and pray? Are your promises really for somebody like me? Do I really have the right and the privilege to come up here and take communion and take part of the bread and the wine? Is this really for somebody as bad off as I am and, and for somebody who has committed as many sins as I have? And I want you to know as the Apostle Paul is proclaiming this message, he's dealing with people who are just like that in these Galatian churches. Remember, these are not just uh, former Jews who were thought of themselves as highly, in, you know, in this real uh, high manner because they, they kept all these commandments. He's talking to ex-pagans and Gentiles who, who lived terrible lives. And he's encouraging them even as he is taking a stab at the false gospel and the false teachers. Christ gave himself for sins. And this morning I want you to be comforted in the depths of your heart with the word of God. Not, not because uh, John says it. Not because Pastor Sotel said, oh don't worry about it. But because the word of God gives you the right to have peace of conscience. He gave himself for our sins. And that's why it's about grace to man. And not grace to God. Because God did it all. Christ did it all. There's nothing for you to contribute. So that's the first clause here, which unfolds in summary fashion Paul's gospel. There's a second one here. He says in verse 4, he goes on to say, Now, the purpose of Christ giving himself for our sins, he says, is to deliver us from this present evil age. Is to deliver us from this present evil age. Sometimes I'm so amazed when I read the Apostle Paul or other places in Scripture, these, these inspired men of God just sort of casually uh, introduce concepts that, that are so vast and so enormous and so difficult and even convoluted to understand. But this is one of them here in, in the second clause. He says, just, and this is just a summary way of presenting the Gospel. He said, He died to deliver us from this present evil age. That, that concept of this being a present evil age is an enormous concept which is unpacked across numerous texts through the New Testament. But what it is, is the Apostle Paul here is drawing on an old Jewish distinction. Present age would correspond to, to what the Jews would have called or described this age. And what they did was they divided up history into two parts. And they said everything from Adam's fall to the time the Messiah comes is all this age. 
And then after that you have the age to come, which is the, the time of eternal kingdom consummation. In other words, that's heaven. They divided up history into those two parts. From Adam to Christ is one age, from Christ and afterwards is eternal consummation and glory. Now the Apostle Paul picks up that idea right here and he plugs it into his gospel presentation and he says that Christ by His self-sacrifice, has delivered us from this age. There's one other thing about it, which Paul's use corresponds also to the old Jewish way of understanding this, and that is, he says here, he qualifies present age as evil. You see, if you go through the Jewish writers and the rabbis and the extant literature from that day, which was not considered biblical, but was in some sense sacred, you have a number of descriptions where this particular formula was used. And what they were trying to say is that this present age is corrupt. To its very radical core, this age is corrupt. And enslaved to sin because of the fall of Adam. The Apostle Paul here is calling attention to that idea now when he throws evil in here and the way it's structured in the original is to throw emphasis and climax upon the fact that it's the age which is evil. Paul is trying to, to dig a big hole for us here. He's trying to show you what, what kind of a terrible predicament you are in. All throughout the New Testament, Paul uses this language and he goes on to explain for us what he means by this. And so the reason why, of course, this is an evil age is because of our sin. The reason why it's an evil age is because of the fall of Adam. The reason why it's an evil age is because of the things that we do. But there's another reason why this is a sinful evil age is because it's under the tyrannical control and power and influence and grip of a personal power of evil. He says in 2 Corinthians 4.4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ. You see what this personal power of evil does upon the subjects who live under the sun in this present evil age as he's going around blinding their eyes so they cannot see the gospel. We wonder why, why, why doesn't so and so respond to the gospel in faith and repentance when we share it with them? Why don't, why don't all these people who, who spend all their lives in luxury and pursuing self-satisfaction, self-gratification through what, whatever means they try, why don't they listen? Don't they know that, that wrath waits for them? Don't, don't they know that God is angry with sin? Don't they know that God's not just a God of love, but He's a God of righteousness and holiness and wrath and justice? Don't they know these things? Why don't they turn? Don't they know that, that, that the gospel message is about God doing everything to save them from their sins by sending His Son to be a perfect sacrifice, to live a perfect life, and all they have to do is respond in faith through the power of the Holy Spirit and exercise the gift of faith which God gives, and they'll be saved. Why don't they accept that? Paul says because the God of this world has blinded the minds. Blinded the mind. Why do people sit around in the gutter of life just, just glutting their senses with, with whatever it is that keeps them numb to reality day after day after day? Why? 
Because they're blinded in their minds and they love the delusions which are produced by the mind, the sinful heart, rather than accept the facts. They're enslaved. He describes it in a different way in Ephesians 2.2. 2, he says, You once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now is at work in disobedience. Paul says there is no such thing as liberty. You're not free. If you're an unbeliever, you are not free. You're subject to a personal power of evil and you are walking in lockstep in disobedience. But Paul says, you think about that, this is where men are. This is where everyone is. They're all under the tyrannical influence and grip of the God of this age who blinds, who twists, who distorts, who emaciates and ravages the soul. Paul says the glory of the gospel is you Galatians, that's where you were. Whether you were in Lystra or Iconium or Pisidian Antioch or Derbe or Ontario or Diamond Bar or Elmani or Montebello Walnut, wherever you're from, this is where you are, the Apostle Paul says. But he says, this is what Christ has done. He has given himself to deliver us from this present evil age. Now you think about what Paul has done here. He has just dug an enormous hole that nobody could crawl out of. He just said, this is how bad off it is. It's a wake-up call to the Galatians. Say, Galatians, don't you understand how terrible and how offensive and how binding and how enslaving your sins are? You're trapped. Why is he doing it? Because he's harsh? Because he takes delight in just hurting people and beating people down and psychologically abusing people? No, he's, he's doing that here to the Galatians and love to say, you know what, you, you people who think that justification is about Christ plus faith plus circumcision plus your own obedience don't even have a clue how bad off it is. You're so far down that you could strive and work and labor with all the diligence and might and, and, and must morality you can muster and you won't even be close to reaching the kingdom of heaven. Because your sins are so great and your participation in this present evil age is so enslaving and so tyrannical. You'd never, ever work your way out. I want us to know this morning, this is why the gospel is such good news. This is why the gospel is about grace to man, because we could have never have done this. You couldn't have done it. But Paul says, grace to you. We read that every Sunday morning. One of these 
particular phrases as God's greeting where the apostle will say grace to you, grace and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ by the operation of His Spirit. Mercy, peace and love be yours in rich abundance. You know what? We, 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 we read these week after week after week to remind you that your standing, your footing before the Lord is not in what you do. Your standing before the Lord has nothing to do with the fact that you cleaned yourself up and you showed up here for worship on time on a Sunday morning. It's about reminding us week after week after week that the only reason why we can stand in the presence of God is not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus Christ did. He says, grace to you. That's the gospel. Not grace to God. Grace to men. Grace and peace because of Christ. You can't add to what he's done. One last phrase here which unfolds for us this, this summary of Paul's gospel to us so that we're very clear on the fact along with the Galatians that, that the gospel is about grace to man is now you see the origin of this plan of salvation. The final phrase, verse 4, according to the will of our God and Father. Do you see that? Paul has now descended to, to the root of why the gospel is about grace to men. He's descended now into the source and origin. He says, why is it that Christ gave himself for your sins? Why is it that Christ went to a cross and had all the curses and guilt heaped up upon him and that he suffered for your sins there eternally and definitively? Why is it that Jesus Christ, through, through offering himself up on a cross for your sins, has delivered you from this present evil age? Why has it happened that way? He says it's because it's according to the will of our God and Father. Will there simply means or denotes plan or purpose. It denotes plan or purpose. And he says it's the Father's plan or purpose. He says if you trace back to the origins of salvation, it didn't come from a colossal giant mistake or error by the Jews or the Romans. He says no, the whole reason for why Christ did all that he has done, the whole reason for why you've been delivered out of the pit of enslavement to this present evil age, he says because it's according to the will of God our Father. He sovereignly planned it. I want to read to you a couple of texts here this morning which confirm that. It's all by the Father's will that this has been done. It was no accident. It wasn't a big giant mistake that somehow God cleaned up and figured out how to turn to our good. Acts 2.23 says that Jesus was delivered according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Jesus, he says, was delivered according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You know who he says that to? He says that to Jews. He says that to some, maybe even in fact some of the very Jews who had been a part of at least consenting to the turning over of Christ to Pilate for condemnation. These Jews with their blood-stained hands, Peter says, it's not all about you. Yes, you're responsible, but standing behind of all of your responsible actions is God who had a definite plan. Christ's death was no accident. It was according to a plan. Remember what Jesus says. Who can ever forget those agonizing words in Luke in the Garden of Gethsemane? Father, if you will, 
take this cup from me. If you will, take this cup from me. Take away me having to go to the cross bearing the sins of a fallen world and all of their guilt. Take the cup from me, if you will. And of course you know that the Father's will was to not take the cup. But to hand it over to Christ. That through the travail of his soul, he would see a blessing upon his elect. Why did Christ give himself? Why did Christ deliver us? How did it all work out that way? It didn't happen by chance. It happened because it was according to the Father's will. Why is Paul's gospel about grace to man and not grace to God? Because Paul says at the end of the day, if you trace this whole plan of salvation to its root, to its source, to its origin, it's traced to a sovereign determination and foreordination by God in eternity path to deliver us as rebellious, stubborn, hard-hearted, depraved sinners from all of our sins to receive eternal life. It's sovereign. You see why you can't add to that? You see why you, you can't take a little circumcision and a little sprinkling of good works and add that to Jesus and it's all going to work out okay? Because salvation has nothing to do with your will. Period. Paul says, it's according to the will of our God and Father. And so you take all three of these clauses here and you begin to realize they add up to one brief but overwhelmingly persuasive affirmation of the gospel. It's grace to man. It's grace to man because Jesus presented himself as an offering, a sacrifice for our sins. It's grace to man because Jesus, by his sacrifice, has delivered us from this present evil age. It's about grace to man because God, the omnipotent, eternal Father, planned it all before the foundations of the world. So that sinful people like us, out of the pure mercy of God, would be able to hear this joyful sound. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul says the gospel is all about grace to man. And then secondly, he says, because it's all of that, because it's all of these things, it's about glory to God. You see, the point logically and irresistibly follows that if God did it all, if you can trace all of the planning and the outworking and the execution, leading all the way up to the final delivery of us from this present evil age, if it's all according to the will of God our Father, then it's not about grace to God and glory to man, but it's about glory to God. 
Glory to God because He delivered us without any help from man. Glory to God because He planned it all and carried out the entire plan without any help from man. Glory to God because He loved us so much even though we were so undeserving. So wretched. Instead of vaporizing us in His eternal wrath, God turned and laid that all on Christ. So it could be about grace to you. You see why this gospel is no bizarro gospel. It's not about taking what's true. Christ died for sins. And then adding to it the exact opposite of now you need to help yourself out and help God out. Now this gospel which Paul preaches is far from it. He preaches a gospel that's been revealed. He preaches a gospel which is for sinners. He preaches a gospel which is for the enslaved. He preaches a gospel that says you have nothing to do about saving yourself. He preaches a gospel which is all about Christ's sacrifice and Christ's deliverance and God's eternal plan. So at the end of the day, this gospel which he preaches would never be confused with a false gospel. But forever would easily be summarized as grace to man and glory to God. That's our gospel. Let's thank the Lord for His rich mercy.